Will you join in that historic effort? In the long history of the world, only a few generations have been granted the role of defending freedom in its hour of maximum danger. I do not shrink from this responsibility. I welcome it. I do not believe that any of us would exchange places with any other people or any other generation. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to another hour of Scotch Hour. I'm Noah. And I'm Jesse. All right, Jesse. Hey, uh, welcome back for another fun week. This is week number 51. We've almost been on air for a whole year now. What do you think about that? Oh, man. There's one more ring on that tree. (laughs) (laughs) One more ring on a tree. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Talk about that wood there. (laughs) That's right, man. Currently, it gets bigger with age. Welcome, ladies. (laughs) Grows in girth. That's right. All those rings. (laughs) That's right. Oh. <laughs> okay, so uh, apparently uh, we—I think we have a pretty good uh, lineup here tonight. Uh, so the the scotch we're going to be trying this evening is the Glen Morangi Fifteen. And for those of you who got to see our uh, our notes uh, or our outline for for tonight's show, I did make a mistake. I put the uh, Glen Fifteen, but it's the Glen Morangi Fifteen. And this is apparently a limited edition, so it should be pretty good. It's the Cadball Estate. Yeah, the edition Cadball. number two. All right. Excited for that. And then after that, we're going to be doing our shout-outs. Uh, there's a couple of birthdays, to, at least for me, to to recognize. And then we got our restaurant here, which we went to the Longhorn Steakhouse, which I picked out, thinking that it had, like, a Texas connection. <laughs> but regardless, it doesn't. It's uh, based out of Atlanta, Georgia, so I screwed that one up, too. Hey, However... However, uh, I did get one part right, and that is that uh, JFK, um, which is going to be our topic tonight, is the assassination of JFK. Apparently, he did like having steaks and potato, according to some report that I found uh, that was put out by the White House a long time ago. So, hey, man, you know, who doesn't like steaks and potatoes? Uh, Kennedy's time was before they made up that term vegan. So everyone ate steak and potatoes. Exactly. So (laughs) at least I got that part right on the dinner (laughs) choice. (laughs) All right. And then once again, our Smarter Challenge is going to be the assassination of JFK. I I expect this to be possibly a very long or at least a longer uh, episode than normal. And so if we have to, we'll break it up into two parts. Please uh, like, share, and subscribe our podcast. And if you want to become a member of our, uh, become a patron member, if you go into our comments down below, you'll see a link uh, to being a Podbean patron. And you can just click on that link and uh, you can uh, donate up to, I guess, as minimum as a dollar. All the money you want, Elon Musk. All the money you, <laughs> all want. The money you want. I'm going to stop world hunger. Six billion. That's all I need. <laughs> 
And we'll document it too. Every, yes. We'll document every I will sale. give you every receipt we starting with the Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> People okay. want to eat when they know Ferraris exist. <laughs> All right, so Glenn Morangi, 15-year Cadball Estate Limited Edition. Um, whoop, whoop. Yeah, pretty excited about this one. Supposed to be very creamy, uh, hints of floral, as Glenn Morangi is known for. Should be amazing. A couple other things, you know, Glenn Morangi has uh, been crafting single malt scotches since 1843. So they've got a little bit of time behind them. Not as long as some distilleries, but definitely longer than others. Um, they do a nice job with their packaging. I do think that that is that blue, that, that, the yeah. blue pops, <laughs> that blue pops. And just, just a quick reminder, right? The, uh, the scotch maker from last week, she used to work for, that's right. What was her name again? Uh, we haven't decided if it's Rachel or Raquel, but okay. we're going to go with Rachel for now until she corrects us and comes <laughs> on the show and sets us straight. Please do Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> or if anyone else knows that you can put in our comments. No, I'd rather have like a, a, a real artist on here, a scotch artist on the show, telling us a few things, letting us know which direction we should take. our And views. how we butcher everything. Oh yeah. <laughs> Dude, that would be the best part. She's, can you imagine what the, are you thinking <laughs> uh, but uh, you know again uh glenn Morangi, founded by william and ann matheson um they started glenn Morangi distillery because that was their dream again 1843 uh, known for the tallest stills in the land so the tallest uh, tall scotch stills around, uh, rumored to be as tall as a giraffe's neck. Hence uh, their spirit animal, the that's giraffe. Right, that's right. And because of that, they work very closely uh, <laughs> with uh, the Giraffe Conservation Fund, of uh, which I think is great. You know, everyone should have a little piece of that. I, actually, I think that is really awesome that they do that and they, yeah. they work with it. And I think, don't they have, they have a special canister, right? Yes. That's yes, they do. Um, and and uh, part of their water supplies from the Tarloji Springs um, product where rain has been forcing its way through layers of limestone and sandstone for a hundred years. So these natural minerals are believed, and it makes sense, it's chemistry, it's science, um, to hold on to flavors very well and give it some of its unique taste. Ooh, great. Yeah. So this is the, uh, I think um, as you're opening that up and tearing it down here, um, or pouring it in, I should say. Um, you said this is uh, from uh, the uh, Cad Bowl, right? Yes, State? part or of their Legends collection Legends, of okay. which they produce uh, for connoisseurs, so much like us, people who really enjoy a unique scotch may find a an affinity for this one. Okay, great, I'm, I'm excited. And I think it's, uh, I think, I'm not really positive, but it seemed like from the uh, the packaging, it's supposed to be like a vanilla bomb here, right? Uh, uh, that could be some of it. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Would not disappoint me if it was. So I think here you have in the notes that it's inspired by the secrets of the Highland heirloom. And it brings out uh, sumptuous sweetness of, to the Legends collection. Right? Yes. All right.
All right. Uh, so, you know, this is a very good uh, Glamorangi. And uh, honestly, I can see why they say it is for the uh, Scotch connoisseur. Oh, my gosh. There is so much complexity going on in this Scotch. It has a... Uh, it just seems every every sip it seems to unfold a, a new experience, mm -hmm. and uh, I would say that if you have a chance, because this is you said a limited release, yeah. right? If you have a chance, definitely I would, I would advise picking this bottle up, especially if you are a Scotch drinker. Uh, approximately, what price range is it? Uh, we got it for eighty nine at Total Wine. Okay, great. So that's that's ninety dollar price point plus tax, you know. Yeah, so, but, but that's still that's pretty reasonable <laughs> nowadays. When we talk about inflation and everything else what? going on, what inflation? <laughs> Biden but, said that's just going to go away. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> because did they say it was transient or something because like that? No, because there. you forget about it when you get your free crack pipe and smoke crack. <laughs> <laughs> True, very true. <laughs> um, so, if you uh, would rather have a free crack pipe, crack pipe, you probably don't want to go with disclaimer, Angie. But <laughs> you want to remember this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you do want to remember this scotch. It has a lot of uh, worthy qualities to it, and uh, I definitely do think it's worth that price point that you mentioned right there. Um, for me, though, like when I was uh, smelling it, uh, one of the very first things uh, that I picked up on the nose was first I got the sweetness from it. And then the very second prominent thing I, I said it was uh, there was a floral scent, and I was very I was questioning my floral scent. Uh, I said, was it a rose? Kind of very uh, questionably questionably to you. And then I, apparently you did uh, confirm that it was a it was uh, basically like a rose or floral. A rose of any other name would not be the same. Exactly. And uh, another thing I picked up, I think my initial uh, scent of sweetness actually uh, morphed into being a nice lemon scent mm -hmm. to it and really this the aroma of this particular uh glimmerangy it really reminds me of a warm summer day in a meadow somewhere you know like all like all like the the scent you get from like all the wildflowers and everything like that when you're like in the middle of a meadow during the summertime you're still thinking about meadow soprano ever since that super bowl commercial <laughs> don't you know it meadow's freaking hot <laughs> Called it. <laughs> She's sizzling. <laughs> Come on, who didn't like Meadow? Uh, I don't know. I mean, her attitude that needed to be like adjusted a little bit, but I don't even think that was the case. She's a strong woman. Good man needs a strong woman. That I, I don't disagree with. All right. Um, as far as the taste goes, here, um, I got uh, in the beginning, the beginning of the palate, I got a little bit of a. Uh, um, slight, uh, slight roasted sage, and uh, it was very creamy, and some toasted oak notes is what I what I got. Um, it was very well balanced. Um, there was no real heavy spikes for me uh, near the near the end, or I guess I should say in the uh, mid palate. There, that's where I started picking up some more floral notes again, and. Um, that's where I got a little bit more sage in flavor, a little bit more um, toasted malts a little bit. And then it, like at the very, very telltale end, at the very end, like after you done, you, you, you drank the whole thing, you swallowed it, that, that lingering finish, it reminds me of like uh, an essence of rose. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, uh, so that's kind of like what I get from this. And honestly, I think um, 
as I mentioned, every sip that I've taken, it just seems to unlock a new mystery for me. And so I think I love the complexity of this. I love sipping it and getting something new each time I sip from it. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are delicate scotches and we've had a lot of great scotches. We're talking about scotches from Isla, the Isle of Skye, from the Lowlands, from Speyside and, and there in general, Highlands. And as, an, as a Highland single malt scotch at a 43% ABV, man, this is not delicate. This is delicious. And I think they do a really nice job producing this, crafting this. And I like the fact that that's how they consider it. They have crafted this honey gold scotch oh, for yeah. a connoisseur. Uh, it, it's it, not your grandpappy scotch. No, man. It, it's uh, And I love my Lagavulin and always will. And they're 99.9% .9 of the time I want a scotch. If I have my choice, it's probably going to be a Lagavulin. However, those times I don't, there are treats like this that make it fun. And I love the fact that you said, uh, you know, uh, a summer field, because uh, I think that there's some truth to that on the nose for me definitely start with that sweet a little bit of lemon um and it uh really finishes into man the oak on the nose it, it, this sweet lemon that kind of goes dry to oak on the palate he ain't oh. lying <laughs> full-bodied um, as you mentioned, this is a complex scotch, uh, very layered, if you will. And for the taste for me, uh, it goes from very full and rich right off the bat. It's got a good start. Like, you know, you're doing a 40 yard dash versus a, a quarter mile run. This has got a great 40 yard dash, but it's also got the longevity. So uh, the palate goes and I love the fact that one of the uh, tasting notes is, man, it really does remind me of freshly baked biscuits right in the middle of of the body hey that's interesting <laughs> you said that because like when i want I, I don't like during our tasting area like in our warp speed session here i remember asking you like is that toasted oak is that is that is that what i'm getting that is that supposed to be that like that uh that biscuit thing and uh, maybe it is i don't know i really do think it is um that flavor though the multiple layers of that it's kind of like a dessert treat where you start with the cake and so you got the the, the toasted biscuit and then it goes into um powdered sugar for me is this flavor of powdered sugar Ooh. followed by not as strong as last week's ben react original 10 but a little bit of honey now not overpowering honey um but just a little bit of honey and then it kind of finishes in um as did the aroma with that rose um medium to long finish to me lots of that malty barley um in that long that medium to long finish and one of the key notes here is that they do uh, use barley from their cadball estate okay. solely to produce this scotch and i think that's probably why they give it its name the cardball uh you know estate scotch in it's 15 years for this case um wonderful layered complex scotch i am super psyched about this scotch yeah i like it if i had four thumbs i'd give it four thumbs up <laughs> put on your double vision glasses ladies and gentlemen four thumbs up <laughs> <laughs> no i do i think it's a uh I, I probably wouldn't waste it on a beginning uh, scotch drinker, but I think someone who's probably like likes scotch and has had, you know has shown some kind of appreciation for scotch, this is definitely a, a great one to share with them. 
you know, Glenn Morangi or Rachel, if either of you want to let us know who some of the master crafters were with this particular bottle, please do. Uh, and Rachel, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd actually be delighted to hear that you might have had something to do with this. That'd be awesome. <laughs> It's time for our shout-outs. I do have two shout-outs today. Um, and they're not really shout-outs, I guess, per se, as like a normal kind. But they're more about wishing happy birthday. So my uh, great co-host here, Jesse, uh, it's his birthday tomorrow. Uh, we do film on Mondays and we drop on Thursdays. And... Uh, Thank you once again for uh, going into this uh, endeavor with me. It's been a, a quite a riot uh, and, and a roller coaster a little bit. I mean, um, not like a bad roller coaster. It's just it's been like all fun, really. And uh, and hopefully you've had a great time doing this as well. Yes. And uh, yeah, once again, happy birthday to you, bro. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. And then another good friend of mine who's out and uh, in Salt Lake. Uh, Tara, who's kind of like my uh, chakra guru friend, um, uh, it's her birthday on the 24th, so um, I know occasionally she watches our show, so I'll wish her a happy birthday as well. All right. And those are my shout-outs. Um, you know, for me, it's a, kind of a bittersweet shout-out. Aiden and his football team won, football, basketball team, Aiden and his basketball team won their final game of the season. Oh, congrats to Yeah, him. that was awesome. And I was really happy that he got to end the season on a high note for himself. You know, he went through his injury. Several of his teammates did. And uh, to know that they finished with a win is great for him, uh, for him and the team. So great job, Cherokee Trail freshman basketball team. All right, so this week uh, we went to the uh, Lone Tree Steakhouse. Uh, the Longhorn, really, Longhorn oh, Steakhouse. Oh, sorry. It is, in, it is near Lone Tree. It is, yeah, it is located near Lone Tree. It's actually in Centennial. Uh, but we did go to the Longhorn Steakhouse. Uh, the whole reason why I chose that, uh, which is for the totally incorrect reasons, apparently, but the reason why I picked the place is that I, like, like I mentioned in the intro, um, I saw something that uh, showed that JFK enjoyed uh, steak and baked potatoes, so I figured it'd be good to go to a steakhouse. And since the assassination happened in Texas, I thought we'd go to a Texas steakhouse. And you know, me just not really doing my research here, I. Uh, Naturally, assume Longhorn Steakhouse was out of Texas, thinking, you know, the University of Texas Longhorns and, you know, they got, I think uh, their their mascot's called Bevy or something like that, or Bessie, I'm not sure what it is, but in any case, like, they have, like, a lot of things that are related to, like, Longhorn uh, steers or whatever, cows or whatever you call them, but in any case, uh, Longhorn's out of Atlanta, Georgia, so that was a swing and a miss. But in any case, I do think uh, dinner itself. Um, I think this might be one of the restaurants here 
that could have been affected by COVID. Because uh, I remember <laughs> <laughs> she, she got a two percent chance. Oh no, a point oh two percent chance of dying. <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is, uh, like, I had gone to a Longhorn Steakhouse before in Salt Lake City, and I remember them having like really nice menus and stuff like that. And uh, this time they just gave us like basically a uh, one sheet of paper that had print on front and back. And I remember them having a much better uh, wine selection. But this time around, uh, they had, what, uh, basically, like, four red wines. Uh, and their Cabernet. Like, you know, if I'm going to enjoy a steak, usually I want a nice Cabernet or a Merlot. And their Cabernet was Woodbridge. Now, I say that Woodbridge is bad, but it's not what I'm looking for if I'm going to pay $20, $30 for a steak. I'm going to want something a little bit nicer. And their nicer ones were Pinot Noirs. And if I'm going to have a Pinot Noir, I'm not generally going to go after a steak with my Pinot Noir. So I think they lack a little bit there with their pairings and wine. So I was a little bit disappointed on that. Um, this particular location, um, I thought their wait staff, although very friendly, they were uh, really kind of slow. They just seemed like... We had to wait for our drinks. We had to wait for them to, to take a order. We had to wait for them for, uh, to give us our check. However, they did run our cards pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and then I think you had a part of your meal that you had to wait for. And she didn't deliver at the same time with yeah, the rest of your meal. Uh, mac and cheese. And honestly, if if I was gonna if I was gonna do this all over again, and I'm not saying like this other restaurant is as uh, as nice looking on the inside um, or like it's a stellar steakhouse. But if I'm going to pay roughly the same amount of price uh, for a steak and a baked potato, I'd rather just go to Texas Roadhouse. Personally, I think Texas Roadhouse has like the better buns with the honey butter, with the cinnamon honey butter. And usually their, their uh, New York strips, which is what I usually order, uh, comes out a little bit better. But uh, that's just me personally. So Overall, I mean, could you take a first date there? I think if they uh, if they were how they were before COVID, I would say definitely it's a first date worthy uh, or, you know, a second date or even hanging out with friends. But uh, currently right now with uh, with their wine selection and all that, I'd be hard-pressed to want to take anybody there. All right. Yeah, you know, uh, the restaurant was pretty interesting and you make some good points as far as uh wins or opportunities uh longhorn steakhouse centennial i had maverick's ribeye sandwich and for me this was a really good sandwich the ribeye a nice uh six ounce cut thin cooked perfectly medium rare um the actual cut itself uh the actual um, you know ribeye itself it did have some tendon running through it and that made it an interesting challenge so uh yeah it's kind of uh the, the flavor was great swiss cheese mushroom sourdough toast and the sides of mac and cheese and, and a sweet potato uh, it was good you know i uh there were a lot of things that didn't go swimmingly for this restaurant uh, would i go with it the friend possibly but there are so many other i'd rather have a burger 
I think I'd rather go for a great <laughs> burger. And um, the location, not a bad location, not not ideal or prime as far as running off here. Would I go there with a date? And, you know, I think I'm very picky, and I know you are as well, about our, my steak. And with that, I'd rather make my own steak at home for half the cost, most likely, uh, rather than going out there. Yes, there's more time. There's more prep work. And, you know, we can do this, though. We put on a better date-worthy experience than, <laughs> than they do. So... Um, for me, you know, the food, um, the mac and cheese left me wanting. I was totally surprised. Usually you get some really great creamy mac and cheese. It looked really dry to me. And when they, and being as they put those breadcrumbs on top of it, I think it just made it look more dry. I don't know how it tasted. I didn't like have any of it. It wasn't as cheesy as I wanted. It wasn't as creamy and cheesy. And then the sweet potato was the win. <laughs> and that is the unfortunate piece. Cause I can definitely do that with a little bit of butter, a little bit of sugar, touch of cinnamon, got a perfect sweet potato. So uh, the food for me, uh, particularly around the price range for my sandwich was, was a seven. The environment um, for a steakhouse, this is where it gets really tricky because I do think when you refer to something as a steakhouse, maybe there's different grades of steakhouse. And uh, however, I'm gonna rate many steakhouses the same. Um, for the environment for a steakhouse, it's gonna be like a 6.5. It wasn't outstanding. I want a sexy steakhouse. Um, I'll pay $60 for a porterhouse, uh, large filet, a New York strip, if it's gonna be great and everything that goes along with it is involved with service and atmosphere and everything else. This was not that place. And they also weren't charging $60 for their steaks, uh, but they weren't, you know, 30 plus dollars for a steak dinner. Um, I'll pay the extra $30 to get the extra experience. Um, know that I'm getting a prime cut, not something that may have a tendon running through it or a ligament, um, either way, a silver. And um, yeah, I, I think because of that, is it date worthy to me? No, no. It's not, not if you want to see that person again. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't do it, guys. Um, and part of that is because, again, when I think of steakhouse, you're thinking about you have some choices that are limited and you don't necessarily have or want a ton of choices with steaks. So, you know, you're probably going for a steak, a ribeye, a New York strip, a filet, a porterhouse, a T-bone, bone in or not. Um, and with that, what you do want is those other choices with wines or with drinks, um, with you know extravagant sides, and this was not that. So overall, um, it wasn't that the value wasn't there, but the experience wasn't there. So overall, it's a six point five for me. Smart All right, so with the Smarter Challenge this week, I tossed out for us to watch a uh, documentary called um, JFK to 9-11, Everything is a Rich Man's Trick. Or also called Follow the Trillions. Or Follow the Trillions. <laughs> uh, and I, um, I think it's a very interesting uh, documentary. I think for those who are probably uh, like younger viewers and stuff who are maybe just barely learning about JFK, there's going to be a lot of great information in there. Uh, for those who probably grew up during the time frame and maybe haven't spent an extensive amount of time doing some research, I think they're going to find some interesting information in this documentary as well. Um, so as we go through our, our uh, sections here, um, I think 
before we can really jump into the JFK assassination or even JFK becoming president, I think we should really kind of notate that the president before JFK was Eisenhower. And uh, there were some things going on in the world during that time. Um, even Eisenhower and his like uh, last speech to the American people, he did warn us against the uh, military industrial complex saying that we need to watch out for that and that there are elements in the government or other elements out there in the world per se that uh, are against the American people and society in, in general. And that we ha would have to basically be vigilant. But threats, new in kind or degree, constantly arise. Of these I mention two only. A vital element in keeping the peace is our military establishment. Our arms must be mighty, ready for instant action, so that no potential aggressor may be tempted to risk his own destruction. Our military organization today bears little relation to that known of any of my predecessors in peacetime, or indeed by the fighting men of World War II or Korea. Until the latest of our world conflicts, the United States had no armaments industry. American makers of plowshares could, with time and as required, make swords as well. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. Added to this, three and a half million men and women are directly engaged in the defense establishment. We annually spend on military security alone more than the net income of all United States corporations. Now this conjunction of an immense military establishment and a large arms industry is new in the American experience. The total influence, economic, political, even spiritual, is felt in every city, every state house, every office of the federal government. We recognize the imperative need for this development, yet we must not fail to comprehend its grave implications. Our toil, resources, and livelihood are all involved. So is the very structure of our society. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. We should take nothing for granted. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals, so that security and liberty may prosper together. Anything about uh, Eisenhower before we jump into JFK? Or? Uh, no, considered a pretty great president. Yeah, and I think, oh, here's something we probably should also mention, because this, this does tie into some of our other podcasts or other episodes, is that um, during Eisenhower's reign uh, as being president, um, that's when Roswell happened, the Roswell accident, and then that's when the development of the Majestic 12 occurred as well. And uh, if you are into aliens and UFOs, apparently Eisenhower 
ended up doing a treaty with the aliens. So if you want to go down those rabbit holes, uh, not tonight, but for you, the viewer, uh, that might be a, a new, uh, uh, some rabbit holes that you may want to explore. All right. So with that, um, oh, and I think I might have forgot. Nixon was his, did I say Nixon was his VP? No. Okay. Nixon was uh, Eisenhower's VP. So uh, I'm only mentioning that because I think uh, Nixon might become a little bit important later on in our discussion. Um, all right, so some questions I do believe, and then I'll, uh, I'll toss these out here. If you want to talk about any of them, we can, and then we'll jump into some of the next, to uh, next thoughts here. But I think some of the questions we have to kind of consider when we think about JFK and also his assassination is, who would want to kill JFK, right? What, what elements out there or what groups of people um, who would want to, um, who, and then not only who would want to kill JFK, who would have the means to kill JFK on American soil and also cover it up to the mass, uh, to the, to the extent that they did, um, who would benefit from JFK's death? Uh, where is the money trail, right? As you mentioned, uh, what did you say the other name was? Follow the trillions. Follow the trillions. Uh, there's always a money trail. Uh, is it, it, and now here's a, I think this is a good question for everyone to ponder here. If the U.S. government did kill JFK, how free are we as a people and society here? Does our constitution really mean anything at that point? It's an interesting one here, I think. Uh, who was the head of the CIA before JFK came into office? And who also ran the Warren Commission? It's the same person. And I think that person kind of needs to be looked at as well. Uh, then also the CIA, they uh, had the opium fields in Vietnam. And uh, they are it's already been pretty much well documented that they've used the military, at least the caskets of dead military men, to transport drugs. And uh, they've CIA has been running drugs for decades, making millions or billions or trillions of dollars to run their operations and black book type uh, operations. And uh, is there any other possible questions you think we should kind of bring up before we start diving in? No, I say we start diving in with the premise of um, part of the reason I think that there was a good idea that turned bad was at any given point, there becomes a reason that need to know and a need to know basis is a reality. For example, if you send a bunch of people to war and they know all of the secrets of the United States and we're going against a foreign enemy and everyone knows America's plan, then any one of those people could be tortured to the point where they share those plans. So need to know becomes real. With that comes in a premise of a CIA, of an FBI, where no one person knows everything or very few people know the big picture and there are only people who know pieces uh, science this is no different as an engineer um, when you're working on a project you work on a piece of the project especially if it's highly classified or going to be big dollars you don't get the whole project you're not you're never going to you get one piece this is the this is your mission this is what you solve because we're going to make trillions off of this but we need the whole thing to work do your part the problem comes in people who often seek these positions are also the kind of people psychologically who love power 
and who want control. True, very true. And then with wanting power and control, that puts them in a position where they, when they're not getting what they want, they will go to extremes to get what they want. Even if that means, as the proverbial, don't be the dog that bites the hand that feeds you, they will do just that. Yep. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think uh, that's that's a great point there, and it's, and these questions all kind of bring up some great uh, things to ponder about uh, when when one starts to dive into looking into JFK, his presidency, and um, whether or not uh, you know uh, why they assassinated him. I mean, there's some other thing. There's some like theories out there. I've heard some crazy theories as of. Uh, uh, there's a book out there that's written called Ancient Aliens and JFK and the the assassination of JFK or something like that. Um, I I heard I heard about this book oddly enough on Coast to Coast with George Nori. Um, so see, now notice I've mentioned Coast to Coast IRS. I've mentioned Coast to Coast with George Nori a couple of times. So now it's a tax write off. <laughs> Just Dude, joking. Send him a penny. <laughs> send him his penny. Give, give us a paper trail, please. <laughs> all right. So no, in all seriousness, though, but really, um, the book is. Uh, but the book, what the guy, the author, what he was saying was that uh, he believes that uh, JFK was assassinated because of him wanting to join forces with Krishnikov, uh, who was the leader of the Soviet Union at the time. And so he wanted to make peace with the Soviet Union and do a joint venture of going to the moon, uh, to the moon and being able to um, reap the benefits of the leftover technology left there by aliens, which were the Anunnaki. So here, you, you, I mean, if you ever watched the Ancient Alien series, you know who the Anunnaki are. They come from the 10th planet, which is Nibiru or Nabaru or however you pronounce it. And then um, the, apparently the Anunnaki created humans through DNA splicing. But in any case, uh, that's what his belief was. Um, so I think that's kind of a weird, uh, weird theory there. I think some of the other things we probably um, should consider here as we look at JFK too are the different types of military and CIA operations. One of them being uh, Operation Paperclip. Mm -hmm. um, do you want to give any information on that? I mean... I know you know, must know a little bit, right? You can talk about Deflategate. <laughs> <laughs> Deflategate. <laughs> or Watergate. <laughs> um, you know, I want to take one step back. Okay. And really, when you're looking at your own questions here, 5.1 through... Uh, who would want to kill JFK? Who and why would invest and be able to cover it up? Who would have access? So different things are looked at there. In this uh, three and a half hour documentary that you all can watch, there are slow parts and there are other parts that are not so slow. And those are the parts where you actually get to connect dots. You may or may already know the information. I think this documentary, once you get past the dry hour is pretty good. Um, and the dry hour though is so full of information, it does help. With that, you have to connect some different dots. So we've gone through World War One. We've uh, gone through World War Two. There's a lot of people who made a lot of money during these wars. And now you have JFK exactly. who is trying to end 
this series of battle, of war, of combat, of killing, of unnecessary death. He's trying to do what is very rare in this world. He's actually trying to do good for all. And I think that is a, a key point. Whereas, you know, if you, you know, ponder this for one minute if everyone's a billionaire and there were only a one percent of the population was a billionaire before now everyone's a billionaire everyone can go get a tea time uh, whenever they want they can go get a dinner reservation at the world's best restaurants um then where does that put the president of the united states even part of the reason it's so rare that a person would want all to flourish uh where would that put the queen of england or any of the other billionaires the right. zuckerbergs or the gates um all of a sudden they can't get reservations or tea times because they're already taken and most likely they didn't plan four years ahead to go play golf when all of a sudden this all unfolds so um, all this war is going on all these corporations playing both sides that's what war does people don't be naive it's real people are making money uh, by selling things to the united states and selling things to the enemy our own people and our own country were selling guns and weapons um, and crafting them so that we could use them and our enemies could buy Vietnam's a perfect example of that. Again, it's all out there. You guys know this, but Kennedy steps in and now the difference is he's trying to do good for all. And all these other people who have flourished with war and combat because there's a lot of easy ways to do that now are very frustrated with that fact that they can't just go make money and, and they don't want to be friends with Russia and go up to the moon and possibly go find some alien tech that benefits all because that means they're not getting their tea times and the restaurant reservations and they're no longer the 1%. So I think, I think that's great that you brought that up there because that's the whole reason why it was important to bring up Eisenhower to begin with and to warn us about the military industrial complex because you're exactly right we have these corporations that were playing both sides of the game uh of the of the, of the game during the war we have ford uh who uh supplied tanks to the germans yeah in nazi we, germans we had our uh, railroad barons who built who built the tr uh, the railroad tracks going into auschwitz we had uh uh standard oil who uh who basically gave the uh, gasoline or the uh, the fuel that they needed to to fuel the uh, Luftwaffe. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it's very, it's it, this has been going on since really, uh, since the beginning of time almost, if you will, because when you look at World War I, it was, it was the Royals and it was the uh, the bankers, which, and in the, in the show, if you, if you haven't really been paying attention to what's going on in the world, you know that's the Rothschilds. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So the Rothschilds, they're the ones who control all the central banks. They even control the Federal Reserve. Um, so here, you know, they, they play both sides of the games. And that's and if and to your point, right? And to the point of Eisenhower, if everybody becomes wealthy, and that's the reason why they don't like America or the Constitution or how we were originally designed, because it gave the working man the opportunity to gain wealth. They wouldn't have the opportunity to uh, get their tea times or to have that elite status anymore, because uh, then you have a bunch of the commoners being able to uh, use, utilize all the stuff that they're utilizing. And if you start looking at a lot of their writings from like the Club of Rome or um, uh, the uh, Council on Foreign Relations, the World Economic Forum, they all refer to common people as being useless eaters. Yeah, and uh, I think more importantly to answer a point you were 
focused on a minute ago, why did this all start, right? Uh, the American Revolution, if nothing else, and it started well before that, but if the American Revolution, if nothing else, made America see very quickly how profitable war could be, especially the top 1% or 2%, and it also taught the intelligent, and this is the tragedy, the intelligent and the driven, uh, who will do more than the non-intelligent or the non-driven, uh, playing both sides, pays even better than war <laughs> right so it just goes on from there and you have to your point steel you have commodities you have basics with all these people baking and making starting with millions and then becoming billions and then becoming trillions and we fast forward back to kennedy who's trying to change the playing field um, because now the power has been put in the hands of the cia and the fbi and he doesn't have the control interestingly enough that he also does want but more importantly he's realizing and facing the fact that they have control they probably shouldn't because he will get wind in his position of the wrong they do now the cia headed by one of the major profiteers during the world wars uh was a bush and the cia the head of the cia was george bush oh uh, uh, at, at that time he wasn't though it was dulles Okay, it's it's Dulles, but the head, uh, but Bush at that point was already working with the CIA. Yes, which he, is, he was a junior officer with the CIA, which is earlier than any of the books ever claimed he worked for them, but he did. Um, so there's there's both sides. Um, but I believe Prescott was involved. There's lots of people involved, but at, at this point, if you have gone into positions of power and you believe the CIA is your god, who are you going to follow? You're going to do whatever the CIA tells you to. Yeah, I, I think uh, the other thing to kind of note here is um, it's good to bring in the CIA because when we start looking at the CIA, this is where the operations we have to become aware of, which is Operation Paperclip. Paperclip, Operation Paperclip, for those of you who don't know, that's where the U.S. and the Allies were basically gathering uh, Nazi scientists and Nazi businessmen to come over into the United States. Build us rockets. And build us rockets <laughs> and, and basically <laughs> infiltrate our government. Well, here's the other piece. It was ultimately, hopefully, as the government was told, to go to the moon. So then Kennedy finds out, hey, man, they're not here to make me a rocket to go to the moon. They're making bombs. They want another war. Exactly. And so I think that brings in the, the, the military industrial complex is having the wars also to the point of the elites, because they don't want people becoming wealthy. They don't want the population to grow to a certain amount. So having wars is also a great way to kill off a bunch of people. And with this, you have all these people of power who have lined the pockets of the military institutions or not institutions <laughs> um the military if you will you know and, and that's another piece uh the cia really just big business the fbi uh allegedly military but ultimately people of power have lined these pockets and when you think about who started the fbi I, at one point in time i held this man uh you know You're talking about uh, hoover j edgar hoover in the highest um uh, regard regard stature and then when i found the evil he did i was like damn it man when, when are we gonna get some good americans well they all get killed apparently but um the, the, 
Apparently they do. So with that, though, you've got people whose pockets have been lined by people of power. Now, one thing that people of power know is that they must always have leverage. Leverage could be a sex tape of a president doing something he shouldn't be doing. Hint, sex tape. So president's not doing something they should be doing. I don't know. Like, I'm sure Marilyn Monroe couldn't be bought, but maybe someone could, right? Well, I think Marilyn Monroe, well, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk about Marilyn Monroe in a moment. Well, we, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm no, sorry. I was just going to say these people, ultimately, the reason that the CIA gets super involved and the FBI gets super involved with these things is because they did start out with the best intent, um, but they were infiltrated by people who abused power and money and made a lot of other people, not necessarily evil on their own doing, but who did evil and got caught and were going to lose all their power and now had their hands, so to speak, tied. Well, that's, that's one thing. As you were saying, like JFK wanted to come in. Uh, he wanted basically to change the world. He was actually a really good guy. He was a really good American. He uh, saw the civil liberties uh, as a, uh, a thing to champion. He wanted the uh, he wanted to have the blacks uh, to have the same basic rights as anyone else, um, which is odd because well, I'm not saying it's odd in the sense that it, it was strange for him to want that. But the last kind of like last two major presidents, probably before him, that was kind of pushing for the same thing. Yeah, Lincoln shot and killed then you had grant with the restoration uh uh act which was basically pushed out of office so there was a lot of people in our government not wanting the wanting everyone or or i would say like there's a, an elite group of people who did not view the constitution as it was written where all men are equal um and uh i, I think that's uh that becomes more and more prevalent as one opens their eyes and starts digging yes uh so who wants to kill jfk to start off with your questions uh right now everyone who's worried that their pockets aren't going to get lined anymore all the trillionaires or billionaires who see kennedy putting an end to their future endeavors so lots of people lots, lots of rich yeah, people lots, lots of, of rich powerful people. people yeah uh you're very you're very correct there uh, i was really posing those questions for the listeners to kind of and, and us to kind of answer as we go through but uh yeah you're right it's the wealthy it's the industrial complex it's the cia and with the cia though right not only do they have the power to manipulate people they brought in the nazis but they have to they have to in order to cover up things that are or to sell the to sell the populace about this, they have to control the media. And this brings up Operation Mockingbird. Yes. Operation Mockingbird is a CIA oper uh, operative uh, or operation yep. that uh, infiltrates the media of the United States and then uses propaganda against American people. And again, we know this has happened because we talked <laughs> about our enemies in previous wars doing it. England did it during the American Revolution, talking about how bad this was to the other English. We did it <laughs> to half, depending on which side you were, during the Civil War. It was done in all countries during World War One and World War II. Vietnam, it didn't stop until someone was going to put a stop to it. But it is no surprise that a faction or a piece of the populace of the United States would do the same. And then we have the, yep, exactly. And then we have the, the uh, industrial complex people who are already, uh, we already had the CIA and Vietnam. And then there's a bunch of military contracts uh, set up for the war in Vietnam. 
And then this also brings up Operation Northwoods, <laughs> which has to do with Cuba. Oh, man, you had me so excited for a minute. I thought it was going to be an erection. Northwood. <laughs> <laughs> and with Operations Northwood, this is where... Uh, I was to try. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I probably should have, like, jumped on that. That's what she said! <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. That's what I was waiting for. That's what I was waiting okay. for. All right. <laughs> All right. So going forward here uh, with Operations North, Operation Northwood, uh, this is when the uh, Russians were starting to move uh, some missiles over into Cuba. And the U.S. military with Operations Northwood, uh, Northwood were asking JFK if they could commit false flag operation against the American people to justify attacking uh, Cuba and Castro to gain support of the American people uh, to, to go in and attack them. This also would bring up Operation Mongoose, which is a false flag uh, attempts against the uh, Cuban people, which also led to the Bay of Pigs. So there's a lot of things right there that's happening with uh, JFK. JFK was very adamant about not going into foreign countries. Uh, he wanted to end those wars. Yeah. He saw Vietnam as being a very – he saw what, the, what happened to the French in Vietnam and never wanted to partake in a war. He's like, we can give uh, uh, advisors, but we cannot uh, send military troops. Well, let's consider the other piece, propaganda U.S. to this point, not to that extreme, but also to that extreme. Why did Cuba become a problem for us? Well, because billionaires were getting sugar because of slave labor at a fraction of the cost of market value. And when someone educated them of this and they decided to put an end to it, all of a sudden they were the enemy. And not only were we going to stop them from exporting their sugar, but uh, getting or, or having any imports or exports from the United States and a lot of the world. Hmm, it's funny how that all changed when one major corporation couldn't get their sugar at a fraction of the market value. Now, this also brings in the point who else would want to kill JFK because we brought up a lot of the government stuff, but the other group of people we haven't brought up yet is the mafia. Mm. So remember, Kennedy's dad was very big in the mafia himself, and he got himself in trouble with uh, Sam, uh, what's his name? Do uh I have it in here. Sam something or other. Sorry. Uh, do you remember the... I don't, but the real point that I think you're trying to make is he got himself in some big trouble with a big mob player. Giancana. Giancana? Giancana, I think. Giancana. Giancana. Good. Now Anyways, you just got us killed. This guy's grandson. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, they're probably gonna murder us now. <laughs> Any case, uh, he's gonna come take my sugar. <laughs> so apparently, like the uh, the Jewish mob or some kind of mob was going after uh, after Kennedy's uh, dad and was gonna they had a hit out on him. So he went to uh, Sam Giacana, I think that's how you pronounce it, and had him call off the uh, the hit, making false promises. And he, the the deal was that he would call off the hit. As long as he got JFK's ear when JFK was president, JFK knew about the how dirty the uh, the American government was because they worked with the mafia in World War II and to do other hits uh, throughout the world. And he also knew how dirty the CIA was, and he wanted to dismantle the CIA as well as make friends with all of our enemies and not be in endless wars. 
So you got he's pissed off a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people who are in each other's pockets. Exactly. Because the CIA needs someone to run all those drugs, hence the mafia tie. <laughs> right? <laughs> Just one of the ties also, by the way. Most of those drugs were going to other countries we were selling them. <laughs> and then here and, and he also pissed off the bankers too because he wanted to get rid of the fiat system and he started to bring back silver uh, silver certificate dollars. So if you go back and like at like uh, if you have dollar bills and stuff that have like that blueprint on there, that's the silver certificates. That that came back into play when JFK was president. I do, I do have some. So they're cool. They're Just cool. Saying. Yeah, they're cool. <laughs> they're pretty. <laughs> they don't look like regular money. They look like A-line so money. so far, if I got the count right here, and we haven't even really like dived super far into this yet, uh, we got the mafia wants to kill JFK. The CIA wants to kill GFK, uh, JFK. The FBI. The FBI wants to kill JFK. Who runs his secret service. Interesting. Might be a conflict of interest. <laughs> the military industrial complex wants to kill JFK. And the the existing elites want to kill JFK. There's a lot of people who want to kill JFK. At this point, he's done. Yeah. He's, he's made enough enemies. Like, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> the only people who weren't his enemy quite yet, and that is still in question, uh, are some of the other foreign countries... Soviet Union, who he was trying to partner with. Well, talking about foreign countries, right? Here we go. <laughs> Here now we got JFK who wants to become friends with people who are going to be the new leaders of their countries, who were people that the CIA and the industrial complex did not, the uh, military industrial complex did not want to be in power. And what did they go do? They go and kill the people. After they got, you know, after the word that uh, JFK went out and said, "Yeah, you guys will have the support of the American people," and then the the CIA goes in and kills these people or gives them up to their enemies to be killed. There we go. Massive, massive, like you could just see this is like a perfect storm brewing in front of JFK. And if you notice JFK, when he became president, he really surrounded like uh, himself with family members like Robert Kennedy stuff like that that's because robert kennedy was another individual uh because they both grew up knowing their father was corrupt they didn't like that and they wanted america to be different than the america that their own father knew uh they wanted america to be honest and truthful and uh available to everyone and their own father had benefited from the damn mob yeah i think here i think you're making a great point i think they actually believed in the ideal of what America could be with the Constitution and what we were, what we're meant to be. What it was sold at initially during yeah. the American Revolution. And that, that kind of reminds me of another president. Probably uh, two more. Hmm. One, another one was shot but wasn't killed. And then another one we're seeing of the CIA and the uh, military industrial complex and elites uh, attacking him. So I'm going to say A, uh, Ronald Reagan. That could be possibly one of them. Uh, Donald Trump. (laughs) Only one of those two guys been shot in office. (laughs) (laughs) Who's who? (laughs) Who's who? Who's who of the who-who's? All right. So I think we brought up all the different operations. One has to kind of consider that the CIA did that kind of like JFK kind of like that kind of would set up for the assassination or cover up. The other thing we have to remember here, too, is JFK, when he came into office, he fired Dulles from being the chief of the CIA, which, oddly enough, he became one of the head people who ran the Warren report to investigate uh, the JFK assassination. 
So he, he, here you got to ask yourself this question, right? Yeah. How does the information get lost and if, hidden? If, <laughs> if, if, the, if the CIA, right, if the CIA took part in killing JFK are, and then they put one of their own as the one of the lead investigators into the assassination of JFK, would we ever find out the truth? Literally, it was the ultimate conflict of interest. <laughs> I agree. You ended my political career or my career in general at the CIA, and now I'm going to end yours. Right. And and, the, and then we also have to just pile on top of that again with the CIA. He wanted to dismantle the CIA totally and completely. Now, CIA, please don't come after us because we actually think you're cool. <laughs> just not good. <laughs> and he was against, uh, and JFK was also against secret societies like the Skull and Bones now, out of Yale. This proposes a, an interesting question we must ask. If you were given the opportunity to become a member, and if you guys have got to have seen the movie Skulls, right? If not, it's a classic. It's great. It's a it's lot of fun. It's kind of cheesy. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, a cheesy it's definitely cheesy. Yeah, it's definitely cheesy, but it's fun. Put yourself in this young character's shoes. Paul Walker, right? Uh, I don't think it was Paul. Paul Walker is in there, but what, he's not the main character. He's the second. Paul Walker, though, just one of the two sexy beasts in this movie. Unless you're including all of the females. Uh, <laughs> I want to say the other guy's name was Josh something or other. Okay. So we've got this opportunity. You're nobody, this particular in person. And now you're giving a car. Just one of the many things. A watch. Not just, a, not just a car. Not just a car. You give, give it a classic. Oh, man. A classic. Your dream car. It's not yeah. even a classic. It's your dream car. And you're given opportunity to make a positive uh, influence in the world, only one catch. They own you. So here's the thing: when you talk about uh, <laughs> uh, skull, the skull and crossbones, which is ba it was uh, out of Yale. I think they have a, a Harvard uh, um, faction uh, as well. Yeah, a lot of them become uh, the elites in our society. Uh, they a lot of them became presidents. Uh, the uh, the treasurer, um, or they they hold high uh, positions in the um, in the corporate world. But here's the thing: one, like I I remember you and I we joked around when we saw the movie and stuff, and even like today we're still like still waiting, hey. skulls, still waiting. <laughs> if if I would if like if I would have gotten to yell and gotten the offer, I would probably would have joined the skulls. But now that that's just just being a naive type of answer. But when you start looking at like uh, some of the things that that's going on in the world and like some of the stuff that's been going on, and we know that a lot of people in the CIA uh, are either part of the skulls or have some kind of a, a connection or link to the skulls, you have to ask at what cost would it be to become a skull? Because you know, as you said, right, the elites they just don't allow you to just become in and become part of the elites. They're going to have something on you. Yeah. So it was Joshua Jackson was the character you were talking about with Paul Walker and then Leslie Bibb. Let's face it. Now, she was any, pretty hot back then. Anyone doesn't know who Leslie Bibb is. She's also the reporter from the original Iron Man movie and has roles in many other Iron Man movies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so the plotters, the major plotters, I think we've already kind of started talking about this. We have the Nazis who came over from Project Paperclip. We have the Skull and Bones. We have CIA, we have the Bushes, Prescott Bush, 
Uh, and then um, Prescott Bush married the daughter of Herbert Walker. And then uh, George Herbert Walker Bush was a junior agent of the CIA who was the one who set up the assassination of, um, of JFK. Uh, we have the mafia, we have businessmen, and then we have the bankers. So these are all the major players, right, uh, that, that have come into play. And if you watch the uh, documentary, they'll, they'll, they'll point out, they have, like, there's a part where they show where they all meet up in Dallas before, and they kind of show the pictures of, of the whole group that come in there. Oh, and we might as well throw in LBJ because LBJ was part of it. Yeah. Um, all right, so that gives us uh, that gives us, gets us up to the point of the assassination. Unless you want to add anything else up to this part. No, I mean I meant what I said. Skulls. I'm still waiting for my invitation. <laughs> call me. <laughs> <laughs> if I get a call, I might let you know if they let me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, okay. So we're at the assassination part. How many shooters were there? All right. Or is, how many groups of shooters? This is an interesting question because time continues to unfold new truths, uh, particularly with technology. And God, I love technology. Isn't technology fun? Originally reported by the people who are likely to have orchestrated this massive task, by the way, uh, the assassination of a president. There was one lone shooter. Yeah, managed, Lee Ozzy, uh, Oswald, right? Yeah, who, who managed to shoot the president from multiple directions, multiple times with a different calibers of bullets. Like, the, the funny part <laughs> is, like, I mean, if you ever watched that movie, uh, JFK, that Oliver Stone did, like, they talk about, like, all right, how is this guy going to shoot that many shots off that quickly? Because it takes, like, 2.5 seconds just to even cock it. That's what she said. Yes. <laughs> so the amount of times they get to, to cock it and to aim and shoot, it would be impossible. And then not only that, they also make another good point in the movie is why did they? Sh why would he shoot through a tree that's going to be in full bloom instead of shooting down another uh, down another road where he would have a clean shot? And multiple clean, clean shots. Yes. So the interesting perspective here is, and to, to talk briefly about the documentary, there were possibly eight shooters. Eight shooters. Multiple groups. Now, what's really astounding is a lot of these shooters were some of the greatest shooters of their time as far as assassinations. And how many of them failed? Like, how many of them missed? How is it that bad? Uh, and, and, you know, the umbrella man, just another example people put in place. Oh, first guy missed. Look, I need an umbrella, right? As the president's car is coming by. Wait a minute. The only thing you can think of the second the president's car is coming by is that you need to put your umbrella up. Like in the middle of a sunny focused day. focused on the president already. I get block in the sun with your umbrella, but in the middle, uh, while he's walking by, that's your focus? No. 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 Yeah. So we have the Warren Commission who's trying to sell us, which is led by Dulles, uh, the former head of the CIA that was fired by JFK, who tries to sell us a bill of goods saying that there's only one shooter, which is Lee Harvey Oswald. We all know that that's a lie. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this one out. Unless he was morphing and he's really the flash <laughs> and time traveling between multiple areas, in which case, why did he, they let them kill him? Exactly. Yeah, it didn't happen. So we, we could pretty much say the Warren, the Warren uh, Commission was, was a farce. Uh, it, was just, it was basically more uh, propaganda and to mislead. 
Uh, then we have, um, in, in my notes here, I put uh, JFK, uh, the movie by Oliver Stone. He, uh, which is based upon the uh, Louisiana lawyer or DA, um, that uh, trials uh, something Shaw, Cole, uh, something Shaw, I forget what his name is. But in any case, during that trial, they said, he says that there's three sets of shooters. And this particular documentary, which I think is probably does the best job that I've really seen trying to put together all the information and giving you like uh, additional history leading up to it. They say there's eight shooters. Four sets. Four sets. Yeah. And really, and as you said, they put together the rock star group of assassins. You have the top assassin out of Cuba. You have a, a top marksman in the United States, which actually was a henchman of LBJ, um, which was... Um, uh, let's see here if I have the names. Pretty sure I do somewhere. Uh, For those of you wondering why the shooters come in sets, there's always two pieces. Um, one of which is that, yes, they are both possibly shooters. Uh, but the other piece is you have a shooter and a spotter. So there is right. typically one person who's actually pulling the trigger, even though both have the capability and a gun. There's typically one person pulling a trigger and the other one letting him know things like the umbrella man opened his umbrella. So, yeah. So the way the groupings were, it was basically two snipers and a radio guy. So the uh, Malcolm Wallace was the hitman that was LBJ, LBJ's guy. And then we have um phil uh, ariso who is who is one of the uh radio guys and he was teamed up with uh, ronaldo uh, resfair and ronaldo otero uh that was uh in the i think the deltex building that was right next to the book depository um area uh one of the groups had uh witty harrelson's dad in it which was up on the grassy knoll and he actually is the one who shot, supposedly is the one who shot uh, Kennedy in the neck. Right, literally right above the tie line. Which this is, this brings up other uh, kind of interesting questions, right, with the cover-up. It goes to Parkland Hospital. And <laughs> Texas law says that they, if someone dies, they have to do an autopsy. The federal government comes in and says, screw you, we're taking over. And then they take the body and... The Warren Commission, because people now start randomly dying and are getting pressured, people now start changing their testimonies. Because you have multiple doctors saying it was a frontal wound. And then now they're like, uh, we're not sure if it's a, a wound that came from the front or the back. Well, particularly the first person who saw him. And then also his number one Secret Service team member who was like, wait a minute. And you can see it if you watch the video clip clearly. He knows his position in his post, and he is told to stand down. Oh yeah, we got okay. So before protecting the president. Okay, yeah. Sorry, we got we got to rewind it. So now now we rewinded when JFK first gets to Dallas. This is what you're talking about. They land in Dallas, and the Secret Service was all getting lined up to go do their thing and to protect JFK. And at this point, um. It was uh, his uh, Secret Service guy. He went to go take his position in the rear of JFK's limousine 
which would have protected him from a back or possible side shot. From three of the four shots that hit him. Yep. And, um, oh, his name is uh, Henry J. Rickba. So Henry J. Rickba, if you look at the footage at the airport, he goes to go onto the limousine, and then he's told to stand down by Emery Roberts. Hmm. So right there, you already know. Like if you if you're this guy, this Rickba guy, and you're told to stand down, and and JFK gets shot, you have to start wondering. Yeah, you're like, you were told to stand down, and it, and the president's now shot. You have to know that there's a conspiracy in the highest parts of the government. And to take that into account too, right? We have uh, Cray- uh, Creighton, uh, Lumpkin. Uh, there's Creighton, Lumpkin, and Whitmere. Uh, these are three people who are in the in the uh, lead car, who all use their influence to uh, have the U.S. Army stand down that day. And if you ever watched the JFK movie from Oliver Stone, um, uh, Donald Sutherland, he plays uh, Mr. X. He talks about how he was in the military and his job would have been to have an army presence there and that the crowd wouldn't be able to do what they were doing and all that stuff. And that you would feel the army presence there. Well, and eight shooters taking shots would have been heard. And exactly. And here they weren't caught. There was no army presence. And apparently if, if the person, Mr. X is really a real person, which I'm not sure because I'm not sure how much truth of there is in the JFK from movie from Oliver Stone. But if that guy is true, then he was actually like before the assassination, he was told to go out to Antarctica to like host a, uh, a shinding basically for a bunch of yahoos in there. And so he was not able to do his normal duty. Hope it was a cool shinding. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. All right. So um, other points about the assassination here. Um, what do we have here in the notes? Um, oh, oddities about that day. So we talked about one, one of the oddities, which is the uh, the um, Secret Service guy not being able to take his normal post. The Army not being there like they're supposed to be. Uh, we also have the uh, the route that they used would not be an approved route from, in most cases. Um, any other oddities there? Uh, really, the only other one that really stand the other few actually that stand out to me. Number one, when you talk about his prime security officers, prime secret service officer, talks about when he finally did get to the back of the car after shots had been fired and JFK's head had been swung from lower front right to back left, um, that Kennedy's wife's climbing out of the car and he's trying to get to the president and the skull was empty. There's nothing left. There's flaps of bone debris. The only thing holding the skull somewhat together is the skin and that there are exit wounds really coming out of the back. Uh, A bullet goes in as it expands and blows out the other side. So a bullet would have come from the front to blow out the back. And he speaks very graphically, unfortunately, but also honestly about that. The other piece that comes to me and a lot of people tried to say the bullet wound was coming from the back towards the front cover up cover up yes cover up and the other piece of the really stood out to me is that his wife 
was getting trying to get out of the car, panicked, uh, scared, frenzied. She's trying to get out of the car to the back. Now, if a bullet wound's coming from the back, you don't go to the bullet wound. She probably doesn't even realize that her animal instincts had kicked in and the bullet coming from somewhere front and passenger side, she's trying to get out driver's side rear. See, that that's a good point here. So one of the points here, as you mentioned, if it was Lee Ozzy Harwell, Har, uh, Oswald, he would have been shooting uh, from the rear. From the rear. So you would not see like you would in the Zapuder film. Is that how you pronounce it? Zapuder. <laughs> Any film? of them. <laughs> Any of them. You wouldn't see the head explode. And uh, when you see the head explode, there's... You would have seen the face dismantle, not yeah, the back of the head. Exactly. So obviously it's a, it was a frontal shot, not a rear shot, as you're mentioning there. Another thing to kind of point out here that, as well is that there is multiple... Uh, witnesses that have said that they saw multiple shooters in different windows and different parts of different buildings. Yeah, just on the video itself, you watch, and all of a sudden the girl's stopping and looking up in a building that also was not where Oswald was apparently at post. Um, another thing that's really interesting, though, this is where it gets sad and interesting, is as video technology has changed and you really look at the time-lapse qualities and the ability to pick it apart, you see, as was the case, not only was it convenient that this person who had this camera wasn't recording a, a long time frame of the Kennedy car coming by, but then it had been altered and that the car basically came to a stop in front of a storage drain where people also have reported hearing a noise from. Yeah, so here, if we're going to look at that, right, the, you brought up a really great point here. Um, if it did come from the grassy knoll, as a lot of uh, people have suspected, well, here, before you before you talk about this, right, we have um, the top, um, one of the top assassins, which I think was Charles Nicoletti, who was supposed to take the first shot and fire into the back of the head of of uh, Kennedy. Kennedy and missed and missed and then that bullet ricocheted and hit the uh, concrete, concrete which yeah which ended up giving that guy that scar or whatever on which his face. shot concrete chunks up towards the uh, the that one witness police yeah and the police driver's face too the police got shrapnel oh, yeah. from it too yeah so you got that's the first shot. Then the second shot came from another group, which I think was the Phil Arisso group, uh, Al Arisso group. But in any case, uh, I think they missed as well. They tagged him in the back shoulder. Left, back shoulder. Back, okay, left back shoulder. shoulder blade. Okay, so that's two shots. Then there was another shot that that rang that to, that missed him or didn't get him where he where he needed to, which Got I think that the was neck. neck. Yeah, that was Harrison uh, Woody Harrelson's dad, and that ultimately probably would have killed him. The only reason he stays slunched over but not fully over is because Kennedy had a bad back and was wearing a back brace. Correct. So he's there's two shots, but the whole goal was to get a a back and a shot of the head, and at that point the 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 order was given that all the groups take a shot at him, and then they all basically miss. Uh, but they ended up getting, like, the governor, or what? I think it was the governor in the front seat, yep. and this is where, like, the supposed... Bullets like, are going everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and the security, uh, this, the Secret Service agent said that it sounded like a sonic boom because he's hearing all these bullets flying by. Yes. And um, 
this is where the supposedly the magic bullet theory comes into play because like how you can get that many bullet wounds into people like you have the leg the the wrist and the other thing the other gunshot wounds there into the governor and the chunk of grass being hit chunks of concrete yeah being so hit. the chunk of grass came from the from the grassy knoll so that happened like i think near the at the end when the guy stopped the car and there was two shots. One was uh, Harrison's dad again, which hit the grassy, uh, the the grass on the other side that Bullet. came that came from the grassy knoll. That's the one that everyone thinks that killed Kennedy. But apparently, there was a guy who was in the storm drain underneath who shot and killed Kennedy, and that's the shot that got him in the head. And if you watch even the movie, uh, the JFK movie, right? You see Kevin Costner's character saying back into the left back into the left well if if this was really true like and, and you do see it in the in the film it does go back into the left but if it came from the grassy knoll which is a higher elevation you being more of a scientist than me how should the head react if his head's already facing down uh it would have just gone to the side it wouldn't have gone back and to the left it would have literally knocked over Right, because it's coming down. Also, wouldn't have blown the back of his skull out like it did. It would have blown out the side. Right. So if you're coming down like this, it's not going to kick the head up. So you have to have a lower trajectory coming up. So, And then also in the film, right, they do show that a uh, motorcycle cop stops his motorcycle. Literally stops his motorcycle. Gets off and doesn't even look at the top of the grassy knoll. He looks down at the storm drain. Yeah. Not only does he get off his motorcycle, he makes it look like he fell off. His motorcycle comes down, and he's picking it up to deter everyone's attention from just meters away, uh, 15 feet, in fact, from Kennedy's head where the bullet came from. And to your point, though, that Zapruder film, uh, they did. They ki- they clipped out a couple of frames. Not a couple, a significant <laughs> amount. They made it look like the car never slowed Stop. or stopped. Meanwhile, you see everyone else slow and stop. Yeah, he see. catches up to the car in front of him. Now, if no one else slows and stops, but all of a sudden the car that was 100 meters ahead of him, the car that was supposed to be close to him the whole time, but all of a sudden it's in front of him again and then they get going, you know something's been changed. Exactly. And then there's also, like it causes like that shadow ghost thing that happens when you do stuff like that yeah the shadow stays still but the figures in the actual frames become blurry for the time of the video distortion so to talk about the supposed guys who are in the storm drain right this is curtis crawford with the and he worked with the cia and not only did he work with the cia he also worked in uh, worked with ruby in his strip joint um, Jack Ruby, which, which is the guy who shot Oswald. Uh, and then the funny part here is um, Jack Ruby uh, introduced him as this Curtis Crawford guy. He introduced him as Oswald, Lee Ozzy Oswald. Yeah, he did. Interesting. <laughs> Too convenient. <laughs> So if, and if you watch the JFK movie Dude, again, stupid. I had to watch it, right? I had to watch stupid. the JFK movie again. I've and they talk, seen it. you never seen it? I no. always thought it was like flawed. It is flawed. But in any case, it was <laughs> it was interesting to watch it since we're doing this uh, episode here. But um what in, what they end up doing though is he talk they talk about there's a guy who is impersonating Oswald the whole time and kind of building up that negative scenario. repertoire. Yeah. 
And the supposed um, shooter was Jack Allen Lawrence. Um, they caught him at a uh, car lot later that day. But um, it was never reported that he was the one who shot Kennedy or that he was really there, as far as I know. But he was a suspect and released. Now, man, I'm just thinking about some of the other high-profile crimes that have happened where people actually cared about other suspects. And I don't think they were let go in 12 hours and given the chance to flee. No, they were not. This is only the president of the United States. Uh, only. O- only Kennedy, the pre- president of the United States. Yeah, I guess it makes sense that all these other people who you don't want to conveniently have been involved. Yeah, he's not guilty. Let him go. It was Oswald. And apparently the CIA hmm. the CIA crew was there, like Johnny on the spot, cleaning up, acting like uh, Dallas police and other things like that. Yeah, not the only time they've ever been caught doing that. How do you do that? Unless you were expecting it to happen because you're not there. Right, exactly. And here's another oddity. Guess who happened to be in town that day? Now, here's I know where you're going, and you're going to say George Bush. But where I'm going to go is, man, if the president's in my town, doesn't matter what class or profile I have, I'm out there watching it happen too. The difference is he wasn't watching it. He was just there to make sure it happened. Exactly. I'd have been on the street. Not kick back he, on. Well, it was his operation, apparently. <laughs> Supposedly it was his operation, and so he was there to witness And, it. dude, if you think about psychological profiles, a prime example of anyone, and this is what, <laughs> if he was guilty, this is what he's doing. Don't uh, murderers like to watch their killings? Not only do murderers like to watch the aftermath of their killings, like it's just it. like an arson who likes to see what happens after the building's burned down, and if possible, watch that burn happen. It's about the heat, baby. It's about the heat. It's about the you want to see. The heat is on. It's on the street. This man plan unfold and that is literally what he was there for in my mind was man i can't believe these either other seven idiots have missed thank god i had the guy who was 15 feet away and <laughs> literally could not miss unless he tried like he literally can't at that point at that point now so and I, I think here is a good point too is that um since he was a junior agent at that point i think this was his first major operation I think this is what solidified him in the in the with the elites. You mean with the skulls and then a presidency? Yes. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. All right. So I think uh, we'll we'll probably uh, we'll end part one here, and then we'll pick up with the uh, we'll start part two here in a second, and um, that will this is where we'll talk about the cover up and the closings and all that. Sound good? All right. So three. Oh, but before we, uh, we should probably say, hey, thank you for, if you're watching part one, thank you for uh, joining us for Scotch Hour. We greatly appreciate your support. You guys are great. Uh, please come back to join us again for the next Scotch Hour, which will be next Thursday when it will drop. Um, same Scotch time, same Scotch Hour. We do greatly appreciate uh, you guys watching us. And uh, please leave any comments down below. Let us know what you think about the assassination, the lead up to it, um, the, the players who might be a part of it. Uh, hopefully, um, everything we've talked about so far will survive YouTube, and but if not, we'll be also on Rumble. Also, the reason we have to break it up is that certain channels do not let you go beyond certain lengths with videos. Is why we're breaking this up and making it a two-part sectional. All right. So thanks again, everyone, and please rejoin us again for part two. Here we can finally answer the riddle of where on an empty street. You can hide a man with a rifle. 
and how he can manage to shoot a man speeding past him in a limousine. The answer is that he can't, and that is why the driver looked around twice to see whether Kennedy had been hit in the head, and when he saw he hadn't, as dozens of witnesses, including police officers, confirmed, he stopped the car completely. His orders was to slow down where the rest of the guys. This is Greer, the, the driver of the presidential limousine. Yeah, presidential yeah. limousine, yeah. slow down almost to stop. It is now that most people have been led to believe that Kennedy was shot in the head by Charles Void Harrelson, the sniper standing on the grassy knoll. This is not true. Because if we look at the angle of elevation of a shot from that area, it's obvious that a shot originating from above and right would have pushed Kennedy's head down and left. Whereas it's quite clear that his head is knocked upwards and to the left by the impact. So where did that bullet come from? Incredibly, the answer has lain hidden in the most well-known and iconic image from the assassination of the motorcycle policeman heaving his bike onto its stone. Look now as we freeze frame him here. This is the moment when the whole world was looking up the hill toward the man who had fired from the grassy knoll. But that is not where the police officer is looking. He is looking down into the storm drain because that is where that shot at a stationary car came from. The shot which all of the well-known assassination witnesses described as coming from behind the picket fence missed completely and ripped up the grass at Jean Hill's feet. She did not even notice. But we know this is true because we have been So who were the men who fired under we hope you enjoyed this evening's episode of Sky Tower. If you did, please like, share, and subscribe. Also, if you have not done so already, please become a Patreon member with memberships starting as low as $1 a month. Thank you and hopefully you have a wonderful evening.